Father, we ask for the teaching ministry of your Holy Spirit. We ask this in Jesus' name that your word would be planted in our hearts and lives and all of us would be impacted because we've been here today. In Jesus' name, amen. We've all heard people say at different times, I have some good news for you and I have some bad news for you. And I don't know about you, they, they'll say, which one do you want to hear first? I always say, give me the bad news first. Because I'd rather hear that and then hoping the good news will somehow cushion the bad news I just heard. Well, here's the truth. The truth is, you don't always know how good the good news is until you first know how bad the bad news is. Now, the title of this brief message this morning really is Bad News, Good News. And there is a, a case study I want us to look at of bad news, good news out of, out of the Bible. His name is Barabbas. Barabbas. We're going to find out it was only after Barabbas understood just how bad the bad news was that he could appreciate how good the good news really was. So let's take a look at his life. The question first is, who is Barabbas? According to the Gospel of Matthew, Barabbas is a notorious prisoner. According to the Gospel of Luke, Barabbas is a murderer and an insurrectionist. According to the Gospel of John, he is a thief. So put all that together and you get that Barabbas was a really a bad dude. What he was trying to do is he really was an insurrectionist, trying to overthrow Roman rule over Israel. He wanted to break the yoke of Rome over Israel. So he was an insurrectionist. He killed people trying to do this. He stole trying to do this. In fact, he and his partners were willing to do whatever it takes to try to break off Rome over the Jewish people. Now, Barabbas, his story actually comes to us in the Easter story on Friday of Holy Week. Now, remember, Holy Week started last Sunday on Palm Sunday. And we talked about last Sunday when Jesus rode in, you know, on the, on the donkey and they were saying, Hosanna to the son of David, that actually he rides in to Jerusalem on Selection Day. Lamb Selection Day. It was a day when all of the families in Israel were selecting their lamb to be sacrificed for the Passover. It had to be a pure and spotless, unblemished lamb. Well, when all that's going on, God the Father sends His Son into Jerusalem to provide for Israel the Lamb of God who will be slain for the sins of the whole world. So he's providing the perfect unblemished lamb for the sacrifice. So there's a beautiful picture here that happens when Jesus rolls into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. By the time we get now to Good Friday, Good Friday we really start, let's say, early, very early in the morning at night time after Thursday, we got Judas betraying Jesus. And Jesus is arrested and then he is tried in the darkened night several times in front of the high priest, in front of the scribes, and the elders. I mean, the Jews wanted to put him to death. He was a threat to their power and their popularity, these, these religious leaders. But the problem was they had no power to put him to death. Remember, they're under Roman rule. They do not have the power to put any of their citizens to death. Only Rome could. So they arrested him, the Jewish leaders. They arrested Jesus for blasphemy that he claimed to be God. But in order to have him put to death, they had to go to Pilate. Pilate was the governor of the province of Judea. 
But the charge of blasphemy would have meant nothing to Pilate. It would have meant, it would have meant nothing to the Romans. So they had to change the charge against Jesus from blasphemy to treason. So they brought Jesus to Pilate and said, he's guilty of treason. He claims to be a king. In other words, he's a threat to Caesar. So you must put him to death. Now, as the story goes, Pilate had no interest in putting Jesus to death. He was looking for ways to set Jesus free. Why? Well, one of the reasons why is his wife had a dream. And in the dream, she's so upset by what she saw in the dream, she goes to her husband Pilate and says, this man is a just righteous man. You must set him free. And so Pilate tried a number of maneuvers to release Jesus and not have him uh, crucified, not pass judgment on him. But what's happened there is, is there now has gathered this angry mob. And this mob wants to see Jesus crucified. And so what happens is Pilate now is in a bit of a pinch. He wants to avoid a riot because that would look bad back in Rome that he can't control things here in Judea. At the same time, he really doesn't want to put Jesus to death. So what is he going to do? Well, let's read the story now. Matthew 27, starting at verse 15. Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release for the multitude any one prisoner they wanted. And they were holding at that time a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. When therefore they were gathered together, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release for you? Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? Now this is where we see that the bad news for Barabbas was real bad news. He is a condemned criminal. He's being held in a cell just waiting to be sentenced to death by crucifixion. He's simply abiding time knowing that he's going to die an excruciatingly painful death. So this is bad news, real bad news. But I want you to notice something here in verse 16 and 17, that in the Greek text, remember the New Testament was written in Koine Greek, in the Greek text it actually refers to Barabbas as Jesus Barabbas. That is his name. In the original Greek text, his name is Jesus Barabbas. Now, the translators in almost every case drop the Jesus part because they think that would be confusing to the readers. But actually, we need to put it back in there, I believe, because number one, it's more accurate. Number two, it sets up an incredible contrast. You have Jesus Barabbas and you have Jesus called Christ. Both of them are trying to get Israel into a new kingdom. One's trying to do it by military might and thievery and murder and insurrection. The other is not willing to kill, but to, willing to be killed, that there might be a kingdom offered, a spiritual kingdom. So you have one that's willing to kill for the kingdom, an earthly kingdom, overthrow the Romans. You have another one who's willing to die for a spiritual kingdom and an eternal kingdom. And so this contrast is really set now as we read this passage. Matthew 27, verse 20 through 23. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the multitudes to ask for Barabbas and to put Jesus to death, Jesus the Christ. But the governor answered and said to them, Which of the two do you want me to release to you? And they said, 
Barabbas. Pilate said to them, then what shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? And they all said, crucify him. And he said, why? What evil has he done? But they kept shouting all the more, crucify him. I want you to get a sense of what's happening here. Now, Barabbas is being held at this time in the fortress of Antonia. It's a place where they put everybody in a cell waiting to be crucified. About 200 feet away from where Barabbas is being held is a place called the pavement. That's where Pilate was standing, interacting with this angry mob. So there's 2,000 feet separating Barabbas in his cell at the Fortress of Antonia and the pavement where Pilate's talking to this angry mob. So here's what I want to do. I want us to really get a sense of what Barabbas hears. 2,000 feet is somewhere between a quarter of a mile and a half a mile away. What that means is, is that Barabbas would have been able to hear the shouts of the angry mob, but he would not have been able to hear what Pilate was saying, a single man to the crowd. And so I'm going to ask you a question, the first question that Pilate asked, and your answer is going to be Barabbas, Barabbas. You're going to shout it. Then I'm going to ask you a second question, and you're going to shout, crucify, me, crucify him, crucify him. Okay, I, again, I want you to get a sense of what's happening here. Are you ready to do this? Are you going to be better than first service? Okay, who do you want me to release to you? That's pretty good, but that's not angry enough. Remember, you're an angry mob. Okay, here we go again. Who do you want me to release to you? What shall I do with Jesus? Do you hear what Barabbas would have heard? Barabbas, Barabbas, crucify him, crucify him. So Barabbas is in that cell. He's got to be thinking, it's over. They're coming for me. I mean, my evil actions have finally got me in a place where I'm going to be crucified. It's going to be excruciatingly painful. It's going to be torture. It's going to be humiliating. It's going to be shameful. And I just think, it, I think he's melting down at this point. Now, here's the truth for all of all humankind is all of us, like Barabbas in a sense, we've sinned and broken God's law. And we're all waiting to be condemned unless there is a substitute. Okay, Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So every human on planet Earth has sinned, broken God's law. Some way worse than others, but it doesn't matter. All have sinned, fall short of the glory of, the glory of God. You've got a holy God, you've got a sinful man, you've got a giant chasm. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. What we all deserve for our sin, our rebellion, and breaking God's law is death. Spiritual separation for God forever. The Bible says in Hebrews 9.27, it is appointed once for men to die, and then comes judgment. So this is bad news. This is real, real bad news. Every human is waiting for a time when they die, then they face God in judgment, waiting to be condemned because they are all all humans are lawbreakers. Again, remember, you, don't, you can't appreciate how good the good news is until you first understand how bad the bad news is. 
Now back to you know, Barabbas' story, I, I think as the soldiers come to get him and they swing open those prison doors, I think he's, I think he's huddled down in the corner and I think he's waiting for them to grab him and take him away. And instead, what he hears is this, Barabbas, you're free to go. Someone else is going to die on your cross. Now, here's a guy that deserved punishment that he's been given. And he is, uh, instead, someone else is going to die on his cross. Jesus is going to die on the cross that Barabbas was supposed to die on. That was the plan. I mean, what amazingly good news. Again, you can't really appreciate how good the good news is until you first understand how bad the bad news is. And I think God brought you here today to tell you that Jesus died on your cross. And he's willing to set you free. You're free to go. Free from sin and judgment. Free from shame and guilt. Free from every bondage. You're free to go. Romans 5.8 says, For while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God demonstrates his love for us that while we're yet sinners... Christ died for us. What great news. Again, we can't appreciate how good this good news is until we first understand how bad the bad news is. The bad news is that we were all condemned and headed for eternal separation from God. The good news is Jesus died on your cross. He substituted for you, took your sins, absorbed your judgment so you don't have to. Now the cross, if you would have gone to uh, Barabbas, during Barabbas' day or anyone during that day, and you would have had a cross on a necklace, that would have made no sense to them. Because a cross was simply an instrument of death, an instrument of humiliating, excruciatingly painful death. I mean, to Barabbas in his day, if someone wearing a cross would be like someone wearing a little electric chair. But it made no sense. But today the cross has gone from being something shameful to being a hope giver something that is sacred, something that we celebrate. Why do we celebrate what the cross means now? Because we know the rest of the story. Now, today when you came in, hopefully you got one of these little wooden crosses. If you didn't, you can get one on the way out. Just grab one. We want you to have one. I want to ask you to do something for one week. You can keep doing it after that, but I want to ask you for one week to put this little wooden cross in your pocket where you have your change or where you might reach in and fumble around and feel it during the day, several times a day maybe. And for one week, every time you feel that cross, remember that Jesus died on your cross. Well, back to the rest of the story about Barabbas. Because after Jesus dies, they take his dead body and they wrap it in cloth and spices and put it in a tomb. And the disciples, of course, now are in hiding because they fear the same thing is going to happen to them. The demons in hell are celebrating. They're thinking, we got them. But all the heaven is counting down. Three, two, one. Let's read it. Luke 24, starting verse 1. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened that while they were perplexed about this, 
Behold, two men suddenly stood near them in dazzling apparel. And as the women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living one among the dead? He's not here, but he has risen. Remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee, saying that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and on the third day rise again? So Jesus rose from the dead. That's the rest of the story. He conquered death. He conquered sin and death on the cross. But how would we know if the cross worked without the resurrection? We wouldn't know. I mean, he conquered sin, Satan, and death. We can't see him conquering sin. We can't see the conquering of Satan. But we can see that he conquered death because he comes out of the tomb, proving that he did what he said he came to do. Now, everyone who repents and believes in Jesus as their Savior and Lord has forgiveness of sins and eternal life. Now, what happens to Barabbas after this? Well, history and tradition tell us actually two different accounts of what happened to Barabbas. The first account is that Barabbas completely ignored this good news. It's said that Barabbas went back to his old ways a few months later, leading rebellions and trying to incite violence. And actually, they said, in a, in a few months after that, was crucified. We all know people that are like that. They hear the good news of Easter and, and somehow they think it's too good to be true or, or irrelevant to them and they go back to their old life after hearing such good news. They're unimpacted by it. But there's a second tradition that we have about Barabbas that I actually like the most and I personally believe to be the true one. And that is that they actually saw him weeping at the cross of Christ. And I can imagine, could you imagine after finding out that someone else is going to die on your cross and all of Jerusalem is, 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 is talking about this and the crowd is gathering and you're free now, free to go. Wouldn't you want to find out more about this? Wouldn't you be drawn in to say, who's died on my cross? I think he was drawn in and he's drawn in to... I think watch Jesus carry that cross up the hill at Golgotha. And he's got to be thinking when he sees that, that that's my cross. He's carrying my cross. And when they threw the cross on the ground and they threw Jesus down on that cross and they began to pound the spikes into his hands and his feet, I think he's thinking, those spikes were meant for me. He's got to be watching all of this, and then finally he's, he's put up there, and, and he sees them, and he's dying and thinking, he's dying on my cross. And you've got to understand that the other two people, because we always see, see the three crosses at Easter. Remember, he's, he, Jesus died between two other condemned criminals who, if we read the Gospels carefully, we find out that they are the likely ones that were part of the insurrection that Barabbas led. So they were all part of it. But Barabbas was a leader, and so Barabbas melts down there and, and sees his two friends on either side of Jesus, but then he sees in the middle cross, the cross that he was supposed to die on, Jesus is dying in his place. You know, the word Barabbas means son of the father. Bar means son of, bar, Abba, father. Barabbas, son of the Father. Jesus comes and dies in his place to restore him as the, a true son now of the Father by having his sins forgiven. 
He turns to Jesus. Well, this is amazing good news for Barabbas, but it's amazingly good news for us. Jesus bore your sin. He bore your sin. He bore all your shame, all your guilt. He took it all on himself, absorbed it all for you. And all you have to do is repent and turn to him as Savior and Lord, and all your sins are forgiven. Your shame and guilt is gone. You have eternal life. That's good news. But you don't know how good the good news is until you understand how bad the bad news is. The bad news is we're condemned and headed for eternal separation. The good news is Jesus changes all that. I go into the cross, and then on Easter Sunday, the good news is, is that the cross worked. For everyone who turned to Jesus, the cross will work for you. So as we close, I'm going to invite the worship team up here. I want to ask you the question. We asked the question, how did Barabbas respond to this truth? I'm asking you the question, how will you respond to this truth? Maybe you'll respond and say, it's, it's, it's too good to be true. Or it's irrelevant to me. And go back to your normal way of living. Or maybe the truth of the fact that Jesus died on your cross will grip you today. It'll change your life. We're going to do something as we close. We got some guys are bringing up a prison door. It's kind of a door I would imagine Barabbas, Barabbas saw the inside of before he got the good news that Jesus died on his cross. Going down his cross. As we close, I want to ask you guys to do something. We're all going to stand in a moment. I'm going to ask you to just take that wooden cross in your hand. And if you don't have one, you can get one on the way out. But during this closing song, some of you are going to just want to just say, you know what? During the song, I'm just going to walk through this door, this prison door, reminding myself of the truth that Jesus died on my cross and set me free. That I'm free. I don't have to believe the lies of the devil anymore. I don't have to live in a bondage anymore. I can believe this truth. I can embrace it today, walk in freedom. So as we sing this closing song, you know, you might want to do that. I tell you, none of you have to do it, but I recommend all of you do it. And during the song, just walk through those doors and just embrace this truth, a celebration that he, Jesus, died on your cross and you are free. You are free. Let's stand together and let's sing the song. Feel free to come up and walk through these doors. i
There's a tradition that has lasted in the church for hundreds of years. That tradition is that on Easter Sunday, the pastor says to the congregation, he is risen, and the whole congregation shouts in response, he's risen indeed. And we're going to close with that, but remember, you're not an angry mob now, you're a happy mob. <laughs> okay, I'm going to say he is risen, you're going to shout out happily, he's risen indeed. Ready? He is risen! Hallelujah. You're dismissed. Have a great Easter. Happy Easter, everybody.